Let's open our Bibles this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter number 27. Matthew, chapter 27. We'll find ourselves in the crucifixion story this morning. I want to preach to you a thought that the Lord laid on my heart. I hope it will be a help to you today. I'm glad the Lord's here, aren't you? He's here to deal on hearts. He doesn't show up for no reason, amen? He's here to deal on hearts. And I'm proud that you're here today. Think of it, that this could be the day that God saves a person's soul. Think of it, that in this place, the Holy Ghost could set down on a man's heart or a woman's heart, show them their need of Christ, and they could be eternally born again. What an amazing thing that is. We're trusting the Lord, His will, and His purpose this morning. Matthew chapter 27 And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 11. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 11. The Word of God says that Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered to him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day, in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe from him and put on his own raiment, and they led him away to be crucified." Let's pray together. Father, we love You. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You that You've allowed us to be in Your house. We thank You, Father, that You would meet with us this morning, that You would take an interest in us here. There's not a single person that is here by accident, Lord. They're all here by providence. And I pray that, Lord, You'd speak to the hearts of each and every person here. The message that You've laid on our hearts this morning is not only for the lost, nor is it only for the saved. Lord, it is for each and every person under the hearing of my voice this morning. I pray that the Holy Ghost would take, certify the truths in our hearts and minds today and use them powerfully for your glory and for your honor. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to preach to you for a few moments about this individual by the name of Pilate. 
Pilate is the governor of this region in Judea. He is a, uh, he is a representative, an official of Rome. And it is his responsibility in being there to keep the peace and to maintain some semblance of civic and social order. And it is into the lap of Pilate, uh, the governor, Pontius Pilate, that the Savior of the world is dumped and is placed before him. And he is tasked with presiding over the charges concerning Jesus, making a decision concerning what is to be done with Jesus of Nazareth. And this morning I want us to take a special interest in the question that Pilate asks in verse 22. Pilate saith unto them, unto the crowd, unto the people that were gathered there, he asked this question, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Now we know exactly what Pilate is asking. The context displays it clearly before us. He's trying to decide whether he's going to sentence Jesus to death or whether he's going to release him or whether he's going to imprison him. Just exactly what is he going to do in his capacity as an official of Rome? But I think the question that Pilate asks goes deeper than merely what he was intending to ask about it. Really, I think if we consider this question this morning, it is a question that has to be asked and must be asked and will be asked to every single person that draws a breath. That question is this, what are you and I going to do with Jesus Christ? This is a question not merely to the lost individual, although I would say this morning if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and let me go ahead and tell you, you might as well be honest with the Lord about that. He knows your heart. He knows you better than you know yourself if you're here and you're lost. And I'd say you're going to have to decide what you're going to do about Jesus Christ. Not just to the lost man this morning, even to the saved individual, saved men and women that are here today. We too have a choice as to what we're going to do with our Savior, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we going to love Him? Are we going to live for Him? Are we going to worship? Are we, uh, are we going to crown Him? Are we going to serve Him? Or are we merely going to discard Him as so many do today? The question that Pilate asks is probably the ultimate question of life. It's more important than where did we come from. It's more important even than where are we going in a broad sense. It's more important than what is the quote-unquote purpose for life. But then I'd go a step further and say that if you can answer this question correctly, all those other questions will fall into frame. You'll have an answer for them. So let's consider what Pilate says this morning. But first I want you to notice a few things about Pilate himself. I'd say this morning that God was working in the heart and life of Pilate. I believe that God loved Pilate. I believe Jesus died for Pilate because I believe Jesus died for all men. He tasted death for every man. And this is not just an interview that bears upon Pilate's uh, public responsibility, but this is an interview really that encompasses Pilate's personal struggle about what to do about this man. And I'd say this to you this morning, in a lot of ways I think you and I could put ourselves in the place of Pilate. I think the way that God dealt with Pilate in some ways is the way that He's dealing with us this morning. And we'll see in Pilate some similarities. Number one, I want you to notice this morning Pilate's curiosity. In fact, if you read this interview, and you have to read really all four Gospels to get a composite view and an overall view of this interview, there was more said, more asked than what is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. And the same can be said of the other Gospels you'll find that this was actually a pretty lengthy interview. This was not just a passing moment. 
Jesus did not walk up like you'd see in a public court of law today and step up, the charge is read, Pilate dismisses him, but there was a, an exchange that took place between them. And one of the marked features of Pilate's interaction with Jesus is how many questions that he asked. Uh, just my cursory, uh, uneducated survey of this thought, I, I brought to bear ten questions that Pilate asked directly to Jesus. And he asks more than that to the crowd and to others around him. But you can go through Scripture and you can read the questions that he asks. In Matthew 27, 11, he asks Jesus, Art thou the king of the Jews? In Matthew 27, 13, he says, he asks him this, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? In Mark 15, 4, he asks him, Answerest thou nothing? In John 18.35, he asks him, Am I a Jew? Also in John 18.35, he asks him this, Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? In John 18.37, he asks this question, Art thou a king then? John 18.38, he asks that famous question that we associate with Pilate. He looked, at, uh, he looked truth in the face and he asked, What is truth? John 19.9, he asked Jesus, Whence art thou? John 19.10, he asked, Speakest thou not unto me? And in John 19.10, he also asked this question, Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? I'd say this this morning, Pilate, if nothing else could be said, was a curious man. He was intrigued by Jesus. He was fascinated by Jesus. He had a, a, a magnetism that drew Pilate unto him. And Pilate longed to know who this Nazarene was. Can I say to you this morning, within the heart of every single person born in this world, I believe there is a compulsion. I believe there is a desire. I believe there is a longing to know something of where we've come from. Something of who has created us. All of the world religions and philosophies are occupied with the answering of those basic fundamental questions. And what really are they asking? Uh, they're not just asking about the origin of creation. They're not just asking about the destiny of the future. They're not just asking about the order of this life and this world. What they're really wanting to know is they're wanting to know about God. And I say this morning that impulse, that curiosity is a natural thing. God put it in the heart of every single one of His creation. You know why? Uh, listen, He wants you to want to know Him. You know why? Because you're made in His image and He wants to know you. I see Pilate's curiosity. And then number two, I notice Pilate's companion. Verse number 19 is a fascinating Verse, it details something that's not recorded anywhere else in the Word of God, but it says that when he was set down on the judgment seat, when Pilate sits down, that his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. We do not know much of the history detailing this, but secular history does suggest to us that some years after this, uh, his wife uh, Claudius came to be a believer. She converted from Judaism to Christianity. And undoubtedly on that night, whenever God visited her in a dream and sent her to be a warning influence in the life and in the heart of Pilate, God was not just doing a service to Claudius, but He was doing a service to Pilate. He put somebody in Pilate's way to warn him as to what he should do. You've probably heard this before. I've heard it my whole life and I would affirm this that I agree to this and I see this to be the case that in as much as the home is a trinity, it has a father, it has a mother and it has children in it. In as much as we try to draw some semblance of correlation, people have often said this. Maybe you've heard it. They've said that the mother 
is the Holy Ghost of the home. You ever heard that before? It is the mother whose tender compassion and nurturing draws the lines around a person's life and molds them who and what they'll be. Should it be any surprise that God put a wife in the life of Pilate to be a witness to him during this time? I would say this this morning. I don't know what human agent it may have been that God used to be a witness in your life But you and I, we do have a companion. One that bears testimony uh, to the righteousness of Jesus Christ through His divinity. Hey, listen, it wasn't by accident that Pilate heard this news. It's not by accident that the Holy Ghost of God speaks to your heart and mine concerning our need of Christ. Uh, There's never been a person uh, born again in this New Testament day of grace but what the Holy Ghost dealt with them about their need of salvation. Uh, He is the one that discloses to us and makes real and personal to us that great need. And I just say to you this morning, if you sit here lost this morning, uh, listen, it ain't the preacher that's knocking on your heart's door. Uh, It's not the church knocking on your heart's door. If your heart is beating, if your brow is sweating, if your mind is racing, it's not me doing that this morning. Hey, listen, but there's one that speaks to your heart and wants you to make a move towards Christ. I see Pilate's companion. But then I would say this, when I read the history of Pilate here, I notice Pilate's confliction. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 3, verse 13, uh, that when uh, Peter is detailing the testimony of Jesus Christ, he says, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate. This is the very same Pilate. And listen to what the Bible says about Pilate. When he was determined... To let him go. I don't know if it uh, dwells within our mind readily, but do you know that the Bible reveals to us that Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus that day. He did not desire to sentence that innocent man to death. He proclaimed on several occasions that he was an innocent man, that he found no fault in him, that there was nothing done in him that was worthy of death. Pilate was a man that did not want to send Jesus to the cross, but he did nonetheless. Can I tell you something? It's impossible. It is possible for a person. I mean, listen, you can ask people, do you want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Uh, you go across this globe and if you can communicate the idea of heaven, it doesn't matter the culture barriers or language barriers. If you can communicate the idea of heaven to someone and ask them, do you want to go there? Of course they'll say yes. There's a lot of people that want to go to heaven that die and go to hell. And it's not because God doesn't love them. It's not because God didn't die for them. It's because want to is not enough. Want to. You listen to me this morning. Want to is not enough. The Mormons want to go to heaven. The Muslims want to go to their form of heaven. The Buddhists want to achieve and attain a level of uh, of higher existence that they would correlate with heaven. But every single one of those people groups, they're on their way to hell if they don't get there by Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this morning, Pilate wanted to. So why didn't he? Well, interesting to note, there are two statements made about Pilate that I think probably reveal to us what happened. In Luke chapter number 23, the Bible says this in verse 20, Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them. He wanted to release Jesus. But then listen to what it says in Mark 15, 15. And so Pilate willing to content the people released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. In other words, Pilate had a conflict within him. He wanted to, he wanted to release Jesus. He wanted to declare him innocent. He wanted to free him and pardon him. But the people were clamoring. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke that when he determined to let him go, that the voices of the people prevailed 
against Him. In other words, I'd say this, there's some people that die and go to hell and, and they are at least feigning a joy and a happiness in their wickedness and in their sin. But there's a lot of people that die and go to hell that don't want to die and go to hell and aren't happy about dying and going to hell. There's people that live in conflict and misery and sorrow, broken lives, devastated lives, who are looking for hope and are looking for help, but they do not place their faith in Jesus Christ. Pilate's a man with a conflict within him. And let me say to every person here, if you're lost today, undoubtedly there's a conflict raging within you. You don't want to die in your sins. You don't want to go to hell. You want to know God. You want to love God. You want to be a child of God. But the want to isn't enough. You've got to come to the Savior. Let me say this morning to every saved person, every one of us, Paul revealed this, don't matter how spiritual you and I may think we are, uh, the Apostle Paul revealed that in every believer there is a conflict. Uh, There is a conflict between the old man and the new man, the old man that seeks to live in self-will and carnality and wickedness and sin, and the new man that desires to enthrone Christ in our hearts and to serve only Him. Pilate's a man that God is dealing with, but what choice will he make? As I see it this morning, Pilate had three choices of what to do with Jesus. And I want you to consider them with me this morning because these are the choices that every single person makes in their life. He had three choices. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Three things he could have chosen to do. Number one, I would say this morning, he could crucify him. In fact, Pilate did eventually send him to a death on the cross. But he could have chosen right out the gate that he was an enemy and opponent of Jesus Christ that Christ had had blasphemed the God of Israel, that he had uh, committed treason against Caesar of Rome, and he could have chosen immediately to send him to the cross. Pilate didn't want to do this, but can I say this morning, there's plenty of people living in this world that choose to crucify afresh and anew the Son of God in their heart and in their mind. Why would they do such a thing? Well, you know, in, in this passage, it's not Pilate that wants to crucify him. It's not even really the people. Now, I'm careful in how I say that because the priests and the scribes, they stirred up the people. And Caiaphas, the high priest, he stirred up the people. But it was not a grassroots movement against Jesus. No, there was a, a certain group of people that wanted Jesus dead. And it was the priests and the scribes of that day. Why did they want Him dead? Why did they make this choice to crucify Him? Well, I notice three reasons, and really it correlates to why people reject Jesus today. I want you to look back with me in verse 20. The Bible says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now, every single year at the feast, it was the custom uh, that was demanded by the people that the governor would pardon and release one prisoner to go free. And Pilate, desiring to release Jesus, he goes and he mentions this to them and he gives them a pretty clear choice. This man by the name of Barabbas, the Bible tells us that he is a thief. The Bible tells us that he is a murderer. And the Bible tells us that he is a seditionist, meaning he was a treasonous man that had tried to revolt against the government. In other words, Barabbas, he's not a winner. He's a rough character. He's a rough individual. I would say this, comparing Jesus to Barabbas, it should have been an easy choice. Uh, Any reasonable person would have looked at this Jesus whom even from secular eyes had done nothing but raise the dead and heal the blind and the lame and the sick, had done nothing but preach the gospel to the poor and help people and try to be a blessing and try to minister to people. Wouldn't you think they would have chosen Jesus over Barabbas? But sadly, they did not. They chose a sinner over the Savior. You say, why would a man do that? Well, today... Uh, Very often people choose sin over the Savior. 
Why would a man reject Jesus Christ? Well, very simply because they value their sin more than they value the Savior. They enjoy the pleasures of sin. Though they may know that they're just for a season, they choose to live in sin instead of accepting Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm glad Jesus saved sinners. Aren't you this morning? I'm glad Jesus saves us even knowing that we are sinners. Amen? But let me tell you that Jesus doesn't save us in order for us to live a life of sin. That doesn't mean that any any person gets born again. None of us are perfect. doesn't mean you're going to live perfectly after you get saved. You're not going to live perfectly until God gives you a perfect body and changes your nature and gives you a glorified body. But I'm telling you this morning, if you're here saved by the grace of God, God did not save you so that you could live a life of license and sin and permissiveness. He saved you. Listen, you say, preacher, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Which are you emphasizing, the sinner or the grace? I'm telling you this morning that God has a desire to save you uh, out of your sin and from your sin, not just from the punishment of your sin, but from the power and pollution of your sin. He has a desire to transform your life, but you're going to have to choose Jesus over your sin. Then I see a second reason that they chose to crucify Him. In Luke chapter 23, verse 2, the Bible says this, they began to accuse Him, to accuse Jesus. Here's what they said. They said, we found this fellow perverting the nation. Now, that was a lie. He hadn't done that. And they also said he was forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. We know that is a lie, that Jesus did not forbid that, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, it's true that he declared that he uh, was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God. But there were times they tried to forcibly take him and make him a king of this realm, of this world, and he did not permit them to do so. But isn't it interesting that they say this, this man ought to die because of his assaults on society. In John chapter number 19, verse 14 through 15, just when Jesus was about to be crucified, the Bible says it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Pilate marched Jesus out in front of them and said, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? Listen to what the chief priests answered. They said, We have no king but Caesar. I'd say this, some men reject the Savior because they choose sin over the Savior, but some men reject the Savior because they choose society over the Savior. You could also say they chose the Caesar over the Savior. They said, we do not want our position in society to be jeopardized. We do not want the long and strong arm of Rome to fall down upon us. We don't want the status quo disrupted. And if it's going to create a problem for us in society for Jesus to be here, then we'll kill Him and get rid of Him. You know, it's sad to say, but there's a great many people that die in their sins because they're afraid of what men may think if they accept the Lord. Let me go a step further and say to you and I, as children of God, there's a great many that do not love and live for Jesus the way that they should because they are fearful of what society might say. So they chose society over the Savior. And then I see a third thing. John chapter 19, verse 6, the Bible says this, When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw Him, they cried out, saying, Crucify Him, crucify Him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye Him and crucify Him, for I find no fault in Him. The Jews answered Him. This is what they said. They said, we have a law, and by our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now, there's a few things I'd say concerning this. It was not the precepts of the law that demanded the death of Jesus, but it was the perversion of the law that they had committed that demanded the death of Jesus. But also, it was the preconceived notion. 
It was a problem for Jesus to call Himself the Son of God. It was forbidden for a person to call themselves the Son of God, except in one important exception. If they are the Son of God. But here's what they were saying. They were saying, if this man be the Son of God, he spent three years condemning our hypocrisy, condemning our formality. He spent three years revealing us to be frauds and to be corrupt people. So it's either going to have to be him or us. But we cannot live together in the same place. I'd say this, instead of admitting themselves sinners and receiving Jesus as their Savior, they chose to maintain their own self-righteousness and demand His crucifixion. You know why people die in their sins? For one, sometimes they choose sin over the Savior. Sometimes they choose society over the Savior. But here, I'm reminded that sometimes they choose self-righteousness over the Savior. They said according to our law. It's interesting that they said we have a law. They didn't say God has a law. They said we have a law. You know that men have laws. I'm not talking about the civic laws and the societal laws. I'm talking about every man in his heart has determined what he believes to be right and wrong, to be necessary, to be unnecessary. The question is not if you have a law. The question is how close is your law to the law of God, to the Word of God, to the truth of God. What they were saying is we have a law and we won't let that law be violated. See, it was not righteousness that demanded this. It was self-righteousness. They were saying it is our esteem of ourselves that will not not permit it. You've heard me say this before and I'll echo it again this morning. uh, That hell is filled with only bad or only good people. That heaven is filled with only bad people. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I mean this, that hell is full of people that believe they were too good to need a savior. Too good to have to admit themselves a sinner. Too good to believe on Jesus Christ. In heaven it's filled only with people that acknowledge themselves broken and helpless and sinful and wretched and rotten and trusted in Jesus to forgive them and save them. But until a man will will jettison his self-righteousness, until he'll abandon all pretenses that he's good enough on his own, he will not get saved. I see he could have crucified him. Now he ultimately did make this choice but he did not desire to do so. The chief priests and scribes desired to crucify him. Why? Because they chose sin and society and self-righteousness over the Savior. But then I see a second thing Pilate could have done. He could have crucified him. Then number two, he could have cleared him. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, he could have pardoned him and let him go. And can I say in Pilate's defense, he certainly tried. On several occasions, he tried to release Jesus. But Pilate... His inability to release Jesus reveals how hopeless it is, listen carefully, to try to pardon the Lord and please the world at the same time. He tried. I I see several ways he tried. Number one, he tried through a substitute. We read it already, but I'll read it to you again back in verse 15. The Bible says, Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Here's what Pilate said to himself. The bloodthirsty mob desires a death. I'll give them a death. But I'll give them someone other than Jesus. He said they delivered him for envy, but surely they would not want him killed and Barabbas spared. It's just petty jealousy that has brought Jesus before me today. So I will substitute another man for Jesus. And I'll be able to satisfy the crowd and also save my own skin. Did it work? Verse 20 says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. You know, there are a great many today that are trying to substitute someone or something for Jesus. 
They think all that matters is that there be a stand-in. It's been one of my pet peeves for years, for uh, really my entire adult life, and I'm sure it has existed long before then. The only people that have ever held high office in this country are people of faith. And look where we're at. We're murdering millions of unborn children. The marriage bed has been all but cast aside. Sodomy and homosexuality and the corrupting and perverting of genders has has become pervasive. But it's all been done by people of faith. You know why? Because faith is not the preeminent thing. It's not faith, but faith in whom? There are a great many today that believe that if you just have your way, a way, that's good enough. No, friend, it's got to be the way. The only way. It's got to be the way, the truth, the life. And there are many today, many today that believe that all you have to do is have faith in something. It can be your God or your idea of God and that's sufficient. But it wasn't sufficient for Pilate. He said, I'll put a substitute up there. But there's no substitute for Jesus. He tried through a substitute. Number two, he tried through a scourging. The Bible tells us in Luke 23, verse 20, Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify Him, crucify Him. And He said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath He done? I have found no cause of death in Him. I will therefore chastise Him and let Him go. Pilate tried to have Jesus beaten to satisfy the people. However, Pilate had already pronounced Him innocent. And the people wanted Him to be crucified. Pilate was hoping He could compromise. Listen carefully, there's no compromise concerning Jesus. The Bible says in verse 23, they were instant with loud voices requiring that He might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. There are many today that want to compromise with the world. They want to denigrate Jesus. Isn't it interesting that He took and beat Jesus? He's pronouncing Jesus to be sinless, to be faultless, to be worthy of their appreciation, worthy of their pardon, but He also wants to beat Him at the same time. You can't have both, but there are many today that are trying to have both. They want to proclaim Him to be a good man, but He can't be a good man if He's not God. If He's not God, He's a liar. If He's not God, He's a charlatan. If He's not God, the miracles He performed could have only been energized by the devil himself. He cannot be both. He cannot be both. He must either be God or be evil. One of the two. You can't scourge Him and expect Him. By the way, let me say this. The world won't be satisfied with your scourging Him. The world won't be satisfied unless you just put Him there on the cross. That's what they want. Let's operate under no delusion this morning. The world is not it is not willing to permit you to have any sincere fellowship with or fealty to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want Him nailed to the cross as they've always wanted Him. I'm talking to you, child of God. I'm saying you can't live in both worlds. They will not allow it. God won't allow it and the world won't allow it. He tried to scourge it. Then I noticed this. He tried to assert it. The Bible says in Luke 23, 6, when Pilate heard of Galilee, they said Jesus was of Galilee. When he heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but... He, Jesus, He answered him nothing. The chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused Him. And Herod with his men of war set Him at naught and mocked Him and arrayed Him in a gorgeous robe and sent Him again to Pilate. The same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were at enmity between themselves. You say, what do you mean preacher a surrogate? Pilate sent him to Herod claiming that Jesus was under his jurisdiction. He claimed that Jesus wasn't his problem. Jesus was Herod's problem. You know, there's many today that would say this. 
like the woman at the well did. One day Messiah will come and then we'll know all things. There's many today that want to say it cannot be known what the right way to heaven is. Or there's many today that would say, well, preacher, it's not my responsibility. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not learned enough to know really what is the right way or what is the wrong way. But I've got news for you. The Word of God spells out plainly for us who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. You may say, well, preacher, it's not my decision. I'll let somebody else make that decision. No, it is your decision this morning. And you will make this decision this morning. What did Pilate do? <laughs> Whenever Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, what did Herod do? He turned around and sent him right back. Pilate could not escape his appointment with the Savior. Can I tell you, you and I, we can't escape it either. Uh, we may say, well, that's another's responsibility. But no, friend, it's your responsibility. The privilege of your drawing a breath, of your uh, blinking a thought into this world, of your heart beating, the privilege of you living is uh, is paid for by the responsibility of what you will do with Jesus Christ. You must make a decision. Listen, child of God this morning, I'm telling you, we may say, well, pre- preacher, it's people in ministry, it's their responsibility to serve Him. People that have been trained, it's their responsibility to witness for it. Pe- people that have, that have more time, it's their... But there is no surrogate for serving God. You're either serving Him or you're not serving Him. We all have the responsibility to serve Him. So He tried through a surrogate. And then I see this, and this is the saddest of all, He tried through a ceremony. The Bible says in uh, verse 24 of our text, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude. And this is what he said when he did it. He said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. You know, the reality is, though, he could wash his hands, but he couldn't wash his heart in that water. He hoped that some ceremony would put him on fair standing with God, He hoped that some ceremony, some rite, some ritual, some public uh, acclamation of his, of his displeasure with this would somehow alleviate him of the personal responsibility. But listen, water can't wash away what Pilate needed washed away. People think if they go through the baptismal waters, people think if they eat a wafer, people think if they drink grape juice or drink fermented wine, or uh, people think if they uh, somehow uh, pray through a prayer with no heartfelt meaning and, and sincerity behind it, or if they sign a pledge card or whatever it might be, that's all just various modern day forms of trying to wash your hands in hopes that it'll alleviate your guilt. But you know, the truth of the matter is, that's not. there was something there that day Pilate could have washed himself in that would have took care of all of it. But it wasn't the water in the basin. Hey, listen, it was the blood that flowed through the veins of that man that stood before it. The songwriter said it right when he said, What can wash away my sin? Not water, not baptism, not church membership, not good works, not charitable giving. None of this does God demand for none of that does God need. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. By the way, child of God, this morning, no amount of ceremony no amount of public worship or public dedication if it's divorced from personal devotion to the Lord, heartfelt obedience to Him, a true submission to His will and His work, nothing else will satisfy. He wants all of us. He died and paid for all of us. And He wants all of us. See, here's the thing that Pilate learned. Everything he tried failed. And here's what he learned that day. It's either Christ or Caesar. There is no in-between. The Bible says in John 19.12, from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But what happened? Why did Pilate finally give in? It says, but the Jews cried out saying, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever make himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate heard the name Caesar, 
He knew he was beat. He knew he had a decision he had to make. You know, that's true today as well. You're going to have to choose between yourself or the Savior. You're going to have to choose between your sin or the Savior. You're going to have to choose between the Caesars of this world and society or the Savior if you hope to receive Him. You know, He could have crucified Him. He could have cleared Him. But there's a third option too. And I think we rarely consider it. He could have crucified Him. He could have said, oh yes, He's a guilty man. Nail Him to the cross with my blessing. He did not do that. He could have cleared Him. He could have said, this man's innocent. I will not permit you to slay Him. But He did not do that. But you know, there's a third thing He could have done. He could have crucified Him. He could have cleared Him. Or He could have crowned Him. He could have just went ahead and done what his heart told him was the truth and was the reality that this man before him was not Caesar. He was superseding of Caesar. He was not just the king of this world, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was not just, listen, the divine embodiment of authority and mandate, but he was the very divine embodiment of God Himself. Not just the Son of God, but God the Son. And he could have took the crown and put it on his head. You know what he could have done? He could he could have testified of his divinity. He even asked the question. He says, "Whence art thou?" He knew. He knew this man was not of this world. He knew this man was something greater than this world. And he could have stood up before that crowd and said, "I'll not nail him to the cross, for he is God in the flesh." Listen, if you're lost here today, you say, "Preacher, how can I?" Receive the Lord. Well, first you're going to have to acknowledge that He is who He says He is, that He is God the Son, that He is God in the flesh. Not just a good man, not just a prophet, not just someone that ministered, but He is God Himself. He could have declared and testified of His divinity. Number two, you know what He could have done? He could have transferred His loyalty. Pilate was just doing his job, right? He was just a representative of Rome. I mean, what could he do in light of his public and civic responsibility, I'll tell you what he could have done. He could have renounced his allegiance to Rome and accepted citizenship in a heavenly kingdom. He could have said, my 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 home is not of this world. My citizenship is not of this world. Though Rome may be the one that pays my paycheck, it is not the one that uh, receives my loyalty. And if I've got to choose between Caesar or the sovereign Savior, I'll choose the Savior. You know what you're going to have to do? Hey, listen, uh, the uh, and I don't listen... I want to say it carefully. Whatever, whatever we want to call lordship salvation, I don't believe a child of God understands everything of what it means to be a Christian when they get saved. I didn't as a 10-year-old boy. I don't believe that being a Christian means you're never going to backslide, that you're never going to sin. But I also believe that, that being a Christian is not just accepting part of Jesus. It's accepting all of Jesus. It's not just believe on Jesus and thou shalt be saved. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Uh, listen, there ain't no half measures. There ain't no hanging on to the world and trying to grab hold of Him. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to transfer your loyalty from this world to Him. He could have transferred His loyalty. He could have traded it out. And then I would say this, He could have trusted His authority. Preacher, why wouldn't Pilate do something like that? I can tell you why, because he was afraid. He was afraid. What was the linchpin in his decision? It was when they brought up Caesar. And he knew exactly what would happen. The chief priests and scribes would leave that place and go straight to Rome and tell Caesar that Pilate was permitting a a, a treasonous usurper to call himself king. He knew it wouldn't be long before the legions would be knocking on his door and he would be killed and executed. But you know, you know what he could have done? He could have said, I believe that this king is more powerful than that king. And I believe that this king can protect me. (laughs) 
better than that king in Rome can protect me. He could have said, I do not know what tomorrow may hold. I do not know what it may bring to me. But I know that if He is who I believe He is, and He can take care of me. He can protect me. He can watch over me. He can secure me. Can I tell you something? Listen, if He's powerful enough to save you, He's powerful enough to keep you. And I believe He is this morning. I, and I don't just mean He's powerful enough to keep your salvation. He is powerful enough to keep your salvation. He'll keep that which we've committed unto Him against that day. But I'm saying, listen, child of God, if He's powerful enough to save you, He's powerful enough to pay the bills that need to be paid. He's powerful enough to give you the help if it's His will and under His mind to do so. He's powerful enough to provide for your needs. He's powerful enough to heal your family. He's powerful enough to heal your marriage. He's powerful enough to do all those things. What do I do, preacher? Trust His authority. Trust that He's able. Pilate didn't choose to do this. But you know, I don't think Pilate left that day and was without choice. I wanted to read this to you. I've read it before, but I want to share it with you. It's very well written, and I think it embodies maybe some of the things going on in Pilate's heart and mind. I'll tell you what I'm about to read is fiction, uh, written by a man years ago. But I think it in many ways discloses the situation that Pilate may have been in. It's a letter, fictional, but a letter that Pilate would have written to his servant, Gaius. It begins this way. He's telling the story of that day. And he says, It suddenly closed in on me, Gaius, the impact of how trapped I was. The proud arm of Rome, with all its boast of justice, was to be but a dirty dagger in the pudgy hands of the priest. I was waiting in the room, Gaius, the one I used for court, officially enthroned with cloak and guard when they led this Jesus in. Well, Gaius, I have had no peace since the day he walked into my judgment hall. It's been years, but these scenes I read from the back of my eyelids every night. You've seen Caesar, haven't you? When he was young and strapping and inspecting the legion. His arrogant manner was childlike compared to that of the Nazarene. He didn't have to strut, you see. He walked toward my throne, arms bound, but with a strident mastering control that by its very audacity silenced the room for an instant. Left me trembling with an insane desire to stand up and salute. The clerk began reading the absurd list of charges. The priestly delegation punctuating these with palm rubbings and beard strokings and the eye rollings and, and pious gutturals I'd long since learned to ignore. But I more felt it, Gaius, than heard it. I questioned him mechanically. He answered very little. But what he said, and the way he said it, it was as if his level gaze had pulled my naked soul right up into his eyes and was probing it there. It seemed like the man wasn't even listening to the charges brought against him as a voice deep within me seemed to say, you're the one on trial, Pilate. You would have sworn Gaius that he had just come in out of a friendly interest to see what was going to happen to me. The very pressure of his standing there had grown unbearable. When a slave rushed in, all a tremble, interrupting court to bring a message from Claudia. Don't judge this amazing man, Pilate, she wrote. I was haunted in dreams of him this night. Gaius, I, I tried to free him. From that moment on, I tried. And I always will think he knew it. He was a Galilean, so I delivered him out of my jurisdiction, but the native king Herod discovered he was born in Judea and sent him right back to me. I appealed to the crowd that had gathered in the streets, hoping that they were sympathizers, but Caiaphas had stationed agitators to whip up the beasts that cry for blood. I had him beaten, Gaius, a thorough barracks room beating. I'm still not sure why to appease the crowd, I guess. Well, it didn't work, Gaius. The crowd roared like some savage beast when I brought him back. If only you could have watched him. They had thrown some rags of purple over his pulp and bleeding shoulders. They jammed a crown of thorns down on his forehead. And it fit. It all fit. 
He stood there watching them from my balcony, lame from weakness by now, but royal, I tell you. Not just pain, but pity shining from his eyes. And I kept thinking, somehow this is monstrous. This is all upside down. That purple is real. That crown is real. And somehow these animal noises, the crowd is shrieking. They should be shouts of praise. Then Caiaphas played his master stroke on me. He announced there in public that this Jesus claimed a crown and that this was treason to Caesar. Then the guards began to glance at each other and the mob began to shout, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! And I knew I was beaten. And that's when I gave the order. I couldn't look at him, Gaius. And then I did a childish thing. I called for water. And there on the balcony, I washed my hands of that whole wretched affair. But as they led him away, I did look up. And he turned and looked at me. No smile, no pity. He just glanced at my hands. And I felt the weight of his eyes upon them ever since. You're yawning, guys. I've kept you up. Go ahead and sleep. Claudia will be asleep by now. Rows of lighted lamps line her couch. She can't sleep in the dark anymore. No, not since that afternoon, you see. Since the afternoon when the sun went out and my guards executed him. That's what I said. I, I don't know how or what or why. I only know that I was there. And though it was the middle of the day, it turned as black as the tunnels of hell in that miserable city. While I tried to compose Claudia and explain how I'd been trapped, she railed at me with her dream. She's had that dream ever since when she sleeps in the dark or some form of it, that there was to be a new Caesar and that I had killed him. Guys, we've been to Egypt to their seers and magicians. We've listened by the hour to the oracles in the musty temples of Greece. We've called it an oriental curse that we are under. And we've tried to break it a thousand ways, but there is no breaking. Do you know why I kept going, guys? Deep within the curse is the haunting, driving certainty that He's still somewhere near. And that I still have some unfinished business with Him. And that now and then as I walk by the lake, He's following me. And as much as that strikes terror, I wonder if that isn't the only hope. You see, guys, if I could walk up to him this time and salute him and, and tell him that now I know that whoever else he was, he was the only man worthy of his title in Judea that day. I'd tell him that I know I was entrapped, that I trapped myself. I'd tell him that there is here is one Roman that wishes he were Caesar. I believe that'd do it, wouldn't it, guys? I believe he'd listen and know I meant it. And at last I'd see him smile. It's quiet tonight, isn't it, guys? Not a breeze stirring by the lake. Would you awaken the slave outside the door and tell him to bring me a cloak, my heavy one? I believe I'm going to walk by the lake. Yeah, yeah, it's dark there. But I won't be alone. I guess I really haven't been alone. Not since that day. History tells us that later on in Pilate's life, he took his own life, committed suicide. His wife, Claudia, converted from Judaism to Christianity. I know it's all fiction and, and, and I understand that. But you know, I do think there's some truth to this. Undoubtedly, he never escaped the decision that he made that day. You know why? Because it's a decision we all have to make. You can try as you may. You can try with ceremony. You can try with self-righteousness. You can try with the applause and affirmation of society. But sooner or later, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do about this Jesus Christ. You can put it off to next week or the week after. And you may be blessed with enough days that you get to make another choice and another decision. But sooner or later, you'll have to have something to do with Him. Sooner or later, you'll stand before Him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Listen, child of God, there may be some issue in your life that you've been putting off. And He's your King. 
But you've got a little kingdom that you've built up that He doesn't preside over. He's been dealing with you about it. Can I tell you something? You too are going to have to have something to do with Him. You too are going to have to make a decision as to what you're going to do with Jesus. You know, today would be a fine day, don't you think? To get that matter settled and to be able to leave this place knowing that we've crowned Him King of our life, King of our heart, King of our mind, and that He reigns supreme. So the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ today? Let's bow together this morning. The musician will come and play. The altar is open. You don't have to wait for the first note to be played. If God has touched your heart, why don't you find a place down here on this altar and deal with Him? He wouldn't have spoken to you about it if it wasn't important. He doesn't do anything for no reason. So if He touched your heart, why don't you find a place down here? And why don't you deal with Him as we pray? Father, we love You. We thank You for this opportunity. Thank You for Jesus Christ. Thank You for what He's done for us. Help us, Lord, to do what is fit with Him in our lives. We'll be sure to thank You. We ask it in Christ's name with our heads bowed.